I'd like to encourage you, if you would, to open your Bibles to the book of Colossians. We're going to be in Colossians chapter 1. There's a Bible app event for this. If you want to uh, grab the Bible app and look under events, you'll find the notes there. Colossians 1. If you didn't think to bring your own Bible, there are Bibles uh, in, in the racks in the chairs near you. And this is on page 1165. Colossians 1 is where we'll be reading shortly. So we are concluding a series where we've been talking about counterfeits, and counterfeits are a, a problem in, in all of life. Uh, if you think about it, sometimes you buy something on Amazon, and when you get it, it isn't what it's supposed to be. I can remember a friend of mine ordered a, a USB memory stick on Amazon, and, and it didn't work when he plugged it in. He took it apart, and there was nothing inside it. <laughs> it was uh, fake and uh, count counterfeit. And uh, that's not just uh, evident in, uh, in technology. It's evident all around us. And what we want to do as Christians is to make sure that we're experiencing genuine faith in, a, in really a forest of counterfeits. We want to make sure what we're grasping is real. Every time I think of counterfeits, um, I think of money. In fact, that's the first thing that comes to mind when someone says, oh, that was a counterfeit. And our government has put a lot of technology into uh, the preventing counterfeiting of currency. Take a $100 bill, for example. You'd like to, wouldn't you, take a $100 bill, for example. Do you remember when I did the first sermon on counterfeits, I passed around my Sidney Crosby jersey, which felt very authentic, and I told you it's a counterfeit. It was made, says made in Canada, it was actually made in China. Today I was thinking about passing a $100 bill around, and uh, I trust you, I just couldn't find one. That's what, that's, that's my story, and I'm sticking to it. But there's a lot of technology in the $100 bill. Uh, the current design is filled with at least a half a dozen things to help you know that it's real. You can't see it on the screen there, but just to the left of uh, Ben Franklin's head, there's a, a very thin um, security thread that runs down through it. And if a $100 bill you have doesn't have that, you've got a counterfeit. And then you can see to the right of Ben's head there, you can see there's a, a blue 3D ribbon that goes down there. It's a security ribbon. It kind of looks like a hologram. When you move it around, it kind of catches your eye. Um, that's a counterfeit prevention measure. I never noticed this before, but down, down at the bottom, to the right of Franklin, there's that orange circle, and that's an inkwell. Uh, you can see the feathered plume going out of it, and in the midst of that, there's a bell inside of there, and that bell, if you move it on a $100 bill, it, it's color shifting. It changes colors as you move it, and then uh, if you look on the far right, you see the white area? It looks washed out there. That's actually a, a watermark, and if you hold it up to the light, you can see another picture of Franklin. If you turn it over, that picture's on the back. You kind of see through uh, the actual thing and, and see that as a watermark. And then do you notice how there's $100 written, or the number 100 written in all four corners, but the lower right-hand corner, do you see it's different? That's because that's more color-shifting ink. And that, uh, that is 21st century technology, making sure that the $100 bill that you have in your hand is real and making sure it cannot be easily counterfeited. But what did we do before we had that technology to protect us from counterfeiting? How did we manage then? Well, I've been told that they taught bank tellers to identify genuine notes, not so much by how they looked as how they felt. And the thinking went like this in some schools of thought about counterfeiting. Never let a bank teller touch a fake note because we don't want her to be used to what a fake note feels like. We want her or him, the teller, to only feel the real thing, and then when they feel something that's different, they, they have that kind of, wait, what? what? What's going on here moment, you know? 
That doesn't feel right. And if you've ever taken a stack of money into a teller and had them count it there before you, you know they'll be going along, and then they'll hold one, they'll kind of, okay, and they'll keep going. That's because that wait what thing is working for them. It is almost as though our brain has a wait what circuit built into it that just kind of stops us and prevents us when something catches us off guard from continuing. For example, you see a nice picture. That looks like a good picture of a woman there in the woods. Ah, oh, she, that, that's really a nicely composed. Wait, what? Not sure what's going on there. That circuit in your brain recognizes, how does she have three hands? That doesn't make sense. And the reason I said that is because some of you are still looking like, I don't see anything wrong with that picture. <laughs> your wait what circuit isn't kicking in on that particular one. Or if you like science fiction, you're like, wait, what? That's an Imperial cruiser getting hit by the Star Trek Enterprise while a TARDIS is rolling off to the side, and I don't even know what those other things are. You're like, wait, what? Those things don't go together. Your brain has a wait what circuit in it. And that wait what what circuit, it really protects you every day in your everyday life. You're standing in a line at Dollar General. You went ahead. Your wife is out of town. So you bought two bags of Lay's potato chips. You're going through the line, and the clerk says, that'll be $381.97. And you go, wait, what? Can't be that. Oh, yeah, I don't know why I did that. Let me, let me scan those again. The wait what circuit is very useful in everyday living, and God gives it to believers to protect them spiritually. If God is at work in your life, you have this wait what circuit that helps you identify counterfeits better spiritual counterfeits, better than you would have before God was in your life. I mean, I think everybody has it to some degree, whether they're a Christian or not, but when you receive Christ as your Savior, it is as though the wait what circuit in your life is upgraded to version 2.0. And it begins to work better. And suddenly, wisdom, meaning, morality, intimacy, security, knowledge, authority, anointing. When you're looking at the real deal, you're like, yeah, that's great. But when the counterfeit's there, that circuit goes off in your brain and says, wait, what? God put that inside you. He enlivens it at rebirth by His Holy Spirit, and He strengthens it through biblical teaching. That's why you're here today. Because part of what should happen today is that the wait what circuit in your brain through the biblical teaching you receive will be enhanced, upgraded. It's just a monthly upgrade or a weekly upgrade in this case. Not brought to you by Google or by Apple, but by Jesus. This is what God desires for you. He desires that you will find that which is real, that you will experience that which is genuine. He wants you to find genuine faith in a forest of counterfeits, because it's very easy to fall for that which is not real. He wants you to experience genuine meaning, genuine morality, genuine wisdom, genuine knowledge, genuine authority, genuine security, and genuine anointing. The Apostle Paul is writing in the scripture we're going to read in just a moment to some Christians just like you. They don't live in Clearfield County. They live in Colossae. It's a few miles from Clearfield County. They lived 2,000 years ago. And as Paul is writing to them, he does what he does in many of his letters. He says, here's how I pray for you. These are ways that I, when I'm thinking of you and I talk to Jesus about you, these are some things that I ask him to do for you. And there are a number of reasons the Apostle Paul wants God to do these things for his friends in Colossae 
One of the reasons is so they'll be strengthened in their faith. And if they're going to be strong in their faith, then their wait what circuit will have to be running well. Let's listen uh, or follow along rather as I read. I'm going to start at verse 9 and I'm going to read through verse 12. It's just a few verses we'll be looking at today. Colossians chapter 1 verse 9. Paul says, For this reason, since the day we heard about you, we have not stopped praying for you. We continually ask God to fill you with the knowledge of his will through all wisdom and understanding that the Spirit gives so that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way, bearing fruit in every good work, growing in knowledge of God, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might so that you might have endurance and patience and giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. That passage really tells us not just what Paul desires for the Colossians, but what God desires. Paul's a man who clearly is filled with the Spirit. And so when he prays, he's not praying from his own head. The Spirit of God is even involved in this. And this shows us what are some things that God desires for us. And the very first thing he mentions is God desires, he desires, that you may live a life worthy of the Lord and please him in every way. That's verse 10. A life worthy of the Lord. A more literal translation might say, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. And so that walk is how you live, how you motivate, how you, get, how you interact with the world, who you are and what you do. I like that language, to walk in a manner. It sounds a little poetic. But really, the word that merits our attention this morning is that word worthy. To walk in a manner worthy of the Lord. I want to say to you, sometimes the word worthy means deserving. For example, these children that were up here this morning, some of them had um, John. What do you got there, John? A medal. Sam, show us your medal, John. Turn around. Everybody needs to see it. Yeah, okay. John has that medal, right? And he earned that. He earned that and is worthy to wear it because of the work he did. That's one meaning of the word worthy. But that's not the meaning that this text is talking about. When this text says to live in a way that is worthy of the Lord, it means to live in a way that is appropriate to him. Because you can never live in a way that is worthy of God's love. I couldn't do that. You couldn't do that. None of us could ever say, yeah, you know what? I have lived such a good life. It's good that Jesus died for me because I deserved him to do that. Who would be so arrogant as to even think that way? So worthy in this context doesn't mean deserving. What worthy means here is in a way that is fitting with or appropriate to the Lord. If you go to a wedding, generally you wear clothes that are appropriate for a guest in a wedding to wear. Even people, even guys that wear blue jeans, generally when they go to a wedding, they put on their best blue jeans. You don't wear the blue jeans that you use to slop the hogs that morning through the wedding later that day. That would be inappropriate. You don't wear the jeans that you use when you change your oil. You wear something that is worthy of a wedding, appropriate to a wedding. God wants us to live lives that are appropriate to the fact that we have been fashioned, we have been created, we have been made by a holy God. And we have been made in the image of the Most High God. And this Most High God has 
given his son through whose blood we have been redeemed. God wants you to understand those things. God wants you to live a life that is in keeping with that thinking that is worthy of the Lord. And so, when I come to a forest and I'm trying to discern what's real and what's genuine, it would be appropriate for me to say something like this. Is this something appropriate for someone who worships the Most High God, the God who loved me and gave Himself for me? And if it is, say, yeah, this is something I'm going to embrace. But if it isn't, I need to say, wait, what? What? I wouldn't do that. My wait what circuit needs to kick in. Here's something else that this Scripture shows us God wants us to do. He wants us to do good things. Verse 10, in the middle of the verse, it says, bearing fruit in every good work. You bear fruit by showing people what is right and helping them get past what is wrong. You bear fruit by helping people see God's love and allowing that love to motivate them in everything they do in life. You bear good fruit when you share with others how God can help them and open their minds to His influence in their lives. You bear good fruit when you let people know their value and you say, you know, you're better than that. You don't have to do that. You bear good fruit when you teach people to treat others with kindness. Whether it's the clerk who wants $381.97 or the person that prepared your taxes who says you owe that much. You bear good fruit when you treat people with kindness. And kindness, honor, those are wonderful things. And in fact, bearing fruit is not just a kind thing. It's a privilege. It's an honor that we get to bear fruit because we do it for Jesus, for God, the one who loves us. And it's something that he wants us to do is bear fruit. When Jesus was speaking to his disciples in John chapter 15, at the beginning of verse 16, he says, you did not choose me, but I chose you and appointed you that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last. So if you're standing at the edge of a forest and you're looking at the forest before you and you think to yourself, I wonder if I do this, does that bear good fruit? Ask yourself that. Does this bear fruit that will last? And if it does, great. Embrace it. It's genuine. But if it doesn't, then wait, what? I was thinking of going there. Not going to go there. That's a way you learn and develop within yourself the ability to avoid counterfeits. Here's a third way. To know God thoroughly. That is something God wants for you, is that you would know him thoroughly. It says that at the end of verse 10. Growing in the knowledge of God. And it's what Jesus prayed in his high priestly prayer in John 17. He says about us, he says, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I would guess that there is no better way for you to be able to identify counterfeits than to know Jesus well, to know him personally, to get into who he is and to learn how he thinks and to, and to dwell in his presence. If your knowledge of God is shallow or if your knowledge of God is mostly head knowledge or if your knowledge of God is something that you kind of hold at a distance or just at arm's length, just at arm's length, then you will be easily deceived. I said this a few weeks ago. I want to repeat it. <laughs> one of the most sobering, one of the most sobering thoughts I've ever had is this. 
for many Christians, the only real spiritual food they get comes from the preacher, in this case me, who they listen to for 30 minutes each week. Huh. You will not get to know God thoroughly following that route. It just isn't going to happen. I don't care who the preacher is. As you get to know him thoroughly, however, then when you stand at the forest, you'll be able to discern what is genuine and what is counterfeit. And if it's genuine, you'll say, great, this is something I want to, I want to receive. But if it's counterfeit, you'll go, wait, what? I'm not going to receive that. I know better than that. Number four, God wants you to know him thoroughly and God wants you to gain patience and endurance. Verse 11 says, being strengthened with all power according to his glorious might. That sounds good. I want to be strengthened so that you may have great patience and endurance. Huh. Catch that phrase. Patience and endurance strengthened in all power. Power is a very interesting thing in the kingdom of God. It's different in the kingdom of God than it is anywhere else. For example, in paganism, power is all about spiritual achievement and then advancement. It's kind of like when you're reading stuff that pagans might write, or if you're you're following an occultist, you know, just looking at what they're posting online or something. It kind of reminds you as a video game. If I get this, then I can level up and I can do that, you know? Power is all about me and what I get in almost every genre, except in the way of Christianity. Because in Christianity, power is not about what you get, but rather it is about what you do for the glory and honor of God. The concept is biblical. You remember there's a fellow in the book of Acts, his name is Simon. He's known as Simon the Sorcerer. He notices that Peter and John are able to place their hands on people, and those people are filled with the Holy Spirit. And Simon's like, oh, I like that power. I would kind of like to have that power. I want to give you some money. Give me that power so that I can do that. And the response is, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy this. And the implication is for yourself, for your own advancement. story ends poorly for Simon the sorcerer. He's begging Peter and John, pray that none of the things that bad might happen to me as a result of this. You see, in the kingdom of God, spiritual power is given for the glory of God, period. That's it. It is never given for self-advancement. And you might watch different preachers in the media or podcasts and you think they were so dead on. They were so good. They had their act together. They taught so well. What happened that the lid blew off of this ministry? And often it's a matter of they were drunk with power. In the kingdom of God, power is never for anything except serving the Most High God. So He gets glory. God actually gives you spiritual power so that you can serve Him. He will strengthen you with power so that you'll have patience and endurance to do the work of the ministry and advance the kingdom of light. So when you see yourself gazing (laughs) into the forest before you and you see something bright and shiny in this world and you say, man, if I had that, that might give me power. Ask yourself this question. Does this strengthen me so the kingdom of God is benefited? If it does, great. (laughs) But if it doesn't, then, wait, what? I don't want that. Number five. In the end, God wants us to be thankful. Joyfully thankful. By the way, did you notice that I didn't say God wants us to be thankful, happily thankful? 
Nor did I say God wants us to be happy. (laughs) Because you've heard, if you've been around Christendom long enough, you've heard that there's a difference between happy and joyful. One of them is very fleeting and has to do with circumstances. One of them goes beyond understanding and is enduring. God wants you to be joyfully thankful. Listen carefully to this. Your happiness is important to God because he loves you. But your happiness is not the most important thing on God's mind. It's not the most important thing on God's mind. When Jesus teaches his followers to pray, he says, pray this way, thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And he's teaching us to prioritize the kingdom of God, not just in our head, but in our heart, in our whole being. Because if we don't do that, then counterfeits will have an allure that may deceive us. But if we do do that, we'll be like John. Thursday night men's group was reading 3 John this past week. (laughs) The book opens up in verse 4 where John says this sentence. He says, I have no greater joy than to hear that my children are walking in the truth. And he's not talking about his physical kiddos, you know. That is a joyful thing. If you have kids and they're walking in the truth, that brings a, a dad's heart a lot of joy. But John's not talking about his physical kids. He's talking about people who he has influenced in the kingdom of God so that they have seen the great love of God for them in the person of Jesus Christ and they have turned from their sins and placed their trust in Christ and begun to follow him. Those are the kind of children he's speaking of in 3 John 1.4. He's talking about people that he has helped into the kingdom of God. He's talking about people who have made Jesus their priority. And he says, man, I can't think of anything that makes me happier, that gives me more joy than seeing that my children are walking in the truth. Jesus wants us to be the people that Paul prayed for in Colossae. In verse 12, giving joyful thanks to the Father who has qualified you to share in the inheritance of his holy people in the kingdom of light. And when you're looking at the forest before you, trying to discern authentic Christian living from counterfeit Christian living. Ask this question. Does this bring joy to my heart that God is receiving honor and people are walking in the light? And if it does, great. But if it doesn't, then maybe your brain should say, wait, what? Is this thing worth pursuing? I want to say, when we resist these things, We don't experience victory and we tend to grab onto things that are counterfeits. When we hold these things at arm length or when we we stubbornly refuse to bow our hearts to Jesus and hold on to that which is counterfeit, we seem to get even more counterfeits along the way. But on the other hand, as your life (laughs) reflects these things, You walk in a manner worthy of Christ. And you notice it. And your wait what circuit seems to work a little better. And you choose to do good things. And the more you choose to serve Him doing these good things, the more you recognize the other things you were doing are counterfeit and not worth your life's investment. And as you grow to know God more thoroughly, you realize, wow, 
this is real. And this is what I should cherish. And as you gain patience and endurance, your wait what circuit works even better. And you're like, wait, what? What am I doing here? That, that would be foolish. Here's the direction I want to go. I will walk in this way. And as you become more thankful and intentionally choose to give thanks to God for helping you walk in the kingdom of light, you learn to discern genuine spiritual life from counterfeit spiritual life.